The Jets welcome the Dolphins to East Rutherford as they try to wipe the Cincinnati debacle from their memories. We preview the matchup with longtime New York Post football columnist Steve Serby and talk about Serb's tussle with Richard Todd in 1981. We also are joined by the quarterback who led the Jets to back-to-back AFC Championship games and now is an ESPN analyst, Mark Sanchez. All that and more next on Gangs All Here with the New York Post. You played to win the game. Welcome to Gangs All Here, a New York Jets podcast with the New York Post. I'm your host and Jets beat writer, Brian Costello. You can follow me on Twitter, at Brian Kaz. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are joined today by the vet and friend of the program, Steve Serby, and former Jets quarterback, Mark Sanchez. Let's get it rolling. The Jets uh, come into this week trying to shake off what happened in Cincinnati, the 22-6 loss, and, you know, at 4-8, and eight, it's a different feel than if they were 5-7 and seven this week, which doesn't sound like a big difference, but I think if they were coming into this week and you, you would have the winning streak talking about, like, it, it, this, this wouldn't have a big game feel, but it would have, at least have a little bit of interest with playing the Dolphins this week. Instead, they're four and eight. The Dolphins are three and nine. This feels like a completely meaningless game. Uh, to me, the story of this game right now, as we look at it, is going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick versus the Jets banged up secondary. Uh, Jamal Adams, I do not think is going to play. I don't think there's any chance he's going to play. He has a sprained left ankle. You know, they're not they're not ruling him out uh, right now in the middle of the week. But I, just just you can read the tea leaves. He's not playing. Brian Poole, their nickel cornerback, who's probably been their second-best defensive player behind Jamal, has a concussion, so he, he's not going to play. Arthur Marlette, who's been starting a cornerback, has a calf strain. I don't think he'll play. So that leaves the Jets with a lot of uh, backups on the field in the secondary, and Mr. Fitzpatrick can carve you up. You know, if, if, he's, if he is right that day and he recognizes that you have a weakness, he will be throwing all over the Jets. So I'm curious to see what Greg Williams comes up with who he even puts at safety. I think they can move some pieces around. Like, don't be shocked if Daryl Roberts moves to safety this week. He, he played there last year. Nate Hairston, they'll probably dust off, who hasn't played in a few weeks. He could play the nickel maybe. Um, it's, this is going to be a challenge for Greg Williams, you know, because you can't really blitz fits if you have these defensive backs that you don't really trust to cover to play man coverage. And then if you just go out there and play zone, uh, Fitz will carve them up. So, I'm curious to see that matchup, and it's just been an incredible year for injuries with the Jets. There's always injuries with a football team, but, you know, I can't remember a year like this, and particular positions have been hit like crazy. The offensive line, they're starting four backups right now. Inside linebacker, C.J. Mosley just went on IR. He's only played two games all year. They lost Avery Williamson there uh, in the preseason. They lost lost Blake Cashman, who was playing okay there as a replacement, so... Now you have the secondary, you have linebacker, you have offensive line. It's just been an incredible year of injuries for the Jets, and they're going to be limping to the finish line here in December. Um, so I think that's going to be a, a huge story here going against the Dolphins is can the secondary hold up against Fitzpatrick, and we'll find out. All right, I'd like to welcome in our special guest now. He led the Jets to back-to-back AFC championship appearances in 2009, and 2010, former Jets quarterback Mark Sanchez. You can see him now on ABC College Football Live on Saturdays, as well as ESPN's Get Up on Football Fridays. 
You can also find him as a guest NFL analyst on Showtime's Inside the NFL. Well, Mark, it looks like you become an official member of the dark side and cross over the media here with all these media gigs. Uh, did you ever imagine when you were in the locker room answering our questions, you'd, you'd one day be one of us? No, not quite like this. Thank you for the intro. Um, and yeah, I didn't, uh, I guess I didn't expect it quite this, uh, this way. It's never exactly how you draw it up, but, uh, I, I am enjoying myself. And like you said, I'm, I'm definitely on the dark side now. And, you know, I always preface any conversations with, former teammates and stuff like that, like, hey, you're talking to me. Like, I'm not the same for media consumption. And, uh, you know, I was so guarded with my questions. I think the toughest thing now is being, a, you know, more of myself or, I guess, uh, not a better version of myself, but a, um, you know, more vocal version of myself because you're so close to the vest with everything. You don't want to get in, give anything away. And, and now they're like, be more of you, you know, say more, tell us more. You know, so it's a complete opposite, but it's been, it's been a fun experience so far. I really wanted to have you on the podcast. Cause obviously, you know, Sam Darnold is a huge story here uh, week after week, you know, it, it, this, and this year has been insane with the, the mono. Then he comes, has a good game against Dallas, then the ghost game. And then he goes on a pretty good run. Uh, you know, every, you know, you can imagine everything's been dissected every every week with Sam and you lived through that. Like I can't think of anyone who probably understands what Sam is going through more than you coming from Southern California to the jets as a quarterback, just what's it like, you know, when you're, when you're in that spotlight, it's so intense and everything you do is kind of being dissected. Oh man. It's a, it's a white hot spotlight. There's a magnifying glass. That's for sure. Um, And, and then there comes, you know, decisions you have to make based on that, whether you call it status or celebrity or uh, becoming a public figure, whatever it is, of, of you know, can I go out and live my life a little? Can I go out and be 22 years old in New York with, you know, signing a huge contract and take people out to dinner and go places with my family or go somewhere with a, a girlfriend or whatever it is? And then you have to weigh that with what it's worth to you to have that kind of privacy. And um, you know, everything is associated with a cost, I guess. So then you got to weigh out those options and it's, um, it's difficult. It's difficult to manage those things as a young kid, you know, and um, looking back, if anything, it's only gotten harder for Sam and I feel for the guy and the next quarterback after him to have any kind of success will have it even worse, you know, cause it, we didn't have podcasts back then. Right. Instagram was barely getting going. If it was even there yet. Right. I think from, more towards the end of my tenure as a Jet, and it was really just Twitter, but you know, all these these um, media outlets and media consumption, especially around one of the you know biggest storylines in the NFL every year, regardless of the record, the New York Jets. So he's he's dealing with all that, and if it's not hard enough, like it's not hard enough to win in general, you know, in that league, uh, just a lot easier, I would think, in a place like. Indianapolis or Jacksonville or potentially Kansas City and things like that. It's just a different market, and um, people are still starving for their for their news about their football teams in those markets. But it's just not the same as New York, and it's so sensationalized. Um, you know, it's it's just kind of the way it goes. Yeah, Sam made his page six debut last week uh, after the game, and <laughs> I, I had to I, I had to have I had to have the conversation with him at his locker. 
that I had with you many years ago, be like, this is not my fault. Like, I am sorry. It's not my fault that they found you. And I, I told them, I said, you know, I, I live, went through this with Sanchez too. I'm like, they're, I'm sorry. They're, they're going to, they're going to write this stuff about you. I said, but you know, that story was him, be, a 22 year old being 22. He went out with his, his teammates. There was nothing, he didn't do anything wrong there, but it's, uh, it's, it's always something. I just love the way it's written. It's just like, so like salacious, like, Ooh, anyone. You know, canoodling with some girl. They, they could have hooked up, or maybe they didn't. Like, I don't know, but you got to read 10 paragraphs into this article to find out. It's like, oh my God. Well, it's funny because I, I got a heads up that it was coming, like that was being published. But at that point, it's over. Like, you know, it's being published. But so I when it, when it posted, I read it. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. And, and it was like, he went home at 1230 in a limousine. And I'm like, oh my God, this kid is so responsible. This is great. <laughs> And they forgot to put the limousine was 15 minutes late. You know, he was trying to get home at 12, 15. So give him a damn break. What about just the, the football aspect of, uh, I feel like everything now is like every game is like blown out of proportion. What's it like living that roller coaster of like, when you have a bad game, it's the end of the world and you suck. And then when you have a good game, it's like, Oh my God, this guy is the guy, you know, this is the new Broadway show. What's it like living that? I mean, listen, it's, it sounds so simple and being able to manage your extremes, right? The extreme highs and the extreme lows and trying to stay somewhere in the middle. But in reality, I mean, it is very, very difficult to do. And especially now being on shows like get up and on, on ABC um, with the college football stuff. I mean, one win, one loss, especially in college football, it's a really, really big deal. But in the NFL, that thing's a marathon. You know, there are so many games and so many chances. Look at look at the Cowboys and look at the Eagles right now. I mean, they're like all over the map and Dallas kind of wets the bed one day and it's like, oh, well, now the Eagles are going to win. And then they screw up and it's like, oh, no, who's going to win now? Maybe the Giants. It's just like, okay, man, let this thing play out. Put the blinders on as best you can and focus on your work. And focusing on your work at times is being able to go out with the guys and take them out to eat or go grab a drink or go celebrate a hard fought victory and relax a little bit and be 22 for a few hours. And then you got to have that ability to compartmentalize that button that up, move on to the next day, get in the building, take care of your body and go get ready and do it again. And you know, if you lose that next game after going out, just understanding that, Hey, people are going to bring that up again. You know, it's the giants going on the boat cruise during bye week. If they win, nobody cares. If they lose, well, it's a big deal. So understanding those things and then managing those risks, but understanding that every week is, you know, living and dying with a win and loss. Like those six days to prepare for that game, they feel like they're for nothing. It's all for naught if you don't win. And that's not fair. You know, that's not fair to yourself. That's not fair to your mind, your soul, your spirit, all those things. But at the end of the day, it's just kind of the way it feels. And I said this, it was pretty funny. I said it to Mike Greenberg. I said, listen, when you lose, you know, you're, you, you don't want to see your dog. If, you know, he's ugly. Your girlfriend's ugly. Food tastes like crap. You just, you're pissed. You're pissed off. And that's the way it goes. And he said, well, I don't think you had any problems like that. And I said, you're right. I, I really do love my dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how much Jets you've seen this year, but like the offensive line has been a big story with them. And they, the line wasn't great to begin with. And then they've had a lot of injuries. They've actually played two guys at every position on the line this year, which is something I've never seen before because they've had so many injuries. You, when you started your career with the jets, you had like the best line I had seen with this team. 
at least for the first two years. And then it started kind of deteriorating. Uh, what's it like for a quarterback when you have that line that you you have a lot of faith in that, that you're not going to get hit versus when you're back there and, and you're not sure where the guys are going to be coming from? Oh, listen, to have – I was so fortunate and blessed to have, you know, Brandon Moore, Nick Mangold, uh, Damian Woody, uh, Brick, Alan Fanica. I mean, those guys were five blocks of granite. And then Matt Slauson stepped in and played really well uh, when, when Alan moved on. And so – those were those were some prime years, and those went us to having not just a good pass protection, but a great offensive run, rushing attack. And those, you know, pass protection, a good rushing attack, then a top five defense on top of that. Those were the years we were primed to win. You know, and we we're pretty darn close. So it gets you in a groove. It puts you in a place where you know those guys are looking out for you. You know who to expect. You know what calls to make. Guys start anticipating. Um, just like a quarterback and receiver that have played together for a long time, it's mannerisms, it's, um, you know, body language stuff that you're reading at the top of a route and understanding that it's going to take a little longer or it could be a little faster based on just doing it enough, getting the repetitions. And once those guys up front get those repetitions with each other, now they start to build this mental Rolodex of all these different looks and fronts and coverages. And now they're all working together. Now it's, you know, one common language, you keep the coaches together, you're speaking the same language over and over and over. Now you get a chance to, to really build on something. But when you're constantly, when it's a, you know, a turnstile door and guys are, you know, rotating in and out, it makes it so difficult to find any kind of cohesiveness and, and um, you know, any kind of camaraderie with those guys. Because every week it's, it's a new set of variables. And um, it just, like I said, it, it, that is one of the toughest things to deal with. And we've, I felt that those last, few years uh in new york we had rex on a few weeks ago um talking and he he rex of course never bashful said the jets would be winning right now if he was the head coach uh i love it and it'd be great what um do you you know do you think rex should have a, a head coaching job uh somewhere in the nfl and, and kind of what what stands out to you when you look back at your time with rex about his coaching style well i think one he's um He's going to be very vocal. I think he's learned that. Uh, he's learned a lot about that. And I think he would explain it uh, maybe in a different way now than he would then. But his, you know, you got to understand that when he says things like that, I don't know if he'd be quite as outspoken nowadays uh, because he understands the kind of pressure it, took, it put on the team at times. But I think um, the intent of what he was doing was to take pressure off the team. And it wasn't like he had some, you know, ulterior motive um, to to make things harder for us. If anything, he was trying to make it easier for the players. It just, you know, what he thought would be a certain way maybe wasn't necessarily exactly how it plays out. And and that happens to everybody. That's no slight on Rex, please. Uh, he's he's one of the best guys I've been around. He's very loyal, and um, you know, I appreciate him. And we've we've had some great talks since since we've played and coached together. So that's. Um, that's been that's been nice to see him on TV and, and having a blast on TV. He's hilarious. He's made for it. Uh, but I think he did. He is one of those guys who does look back fondly on those years, on a lot of things that went well. And then, uh, just like I do, there's plenty of mistakes you've made that you, uh, if you ever got the opportunity again, uh, or could impart some knowledge on anyone in a similar situation, whether it's Sam Donald or him with Adam Gase. Listen, you just you would love to to you know fix a few things or or at least shed some light on some personal situations like, Hey, you know, this was going on. Here's what we did. 
here's what we thought would happen. And in actuality, this is what happened. So maybe steer clear of that one so you don't have to fall in every pitfall that we did. Um, but, you know, that's kind of where it's at. Listen, if he wants to coach or be a D coordinator, I don't see a problem with it. I think I think that'd be awesome for him. He's a, he is one of those guys. He's doing great on TV, but he's a lifer, man. He's a football lifer. He's a junkie and, and loves, loves the game. So junkie in a good way, please uh, understand that. Do you have a favorite – Rex story that you can you can tell in public? <laughs> um, some of my favorite ones are private. <laughs> um, let me say, listen, we're just so you know, he's potentially uh, going to coach in the Hula Bowl, and so he called me a couple weeks ago asking if I would ever think about coaching, and uh, and if I would ever coach in the All Star game with him because um, he's getting some offers. So um, he asked if I would potentially want to be a you know quarterback coach or something like that. So I've. Uh, I've been I've been thinking about it. We'll see we'll see how it lines up schedule wise with all these bowl games and everything I'm doing down at Super Bowl and all that. So, uh, but that's that's the kind of relationship if that sheds any light on where we're at. And um, he's one of the best guys I've been around. And and listen, everybody, we've all made our share of mistakes, but it's uh, it's nice to have somebody like that that you've had that kind of success with um, still continue to be a good friend. What's your favorite memory of those playoff runs, Mark? Ooh, um, you know we. Um, when we played at San Diego, that would have been my rookie year, was probably one of my favorites. And not just the game and how things ended up and all that, but you got to understand San Diego's, you know, only 60 so miles from my house, from where I grew up. So we had, you know, I had to probably buy, honestly, like 150 tickets. And, um, yeah, people still, they didn't have Venmo back then, so people still owe me some money. But, um, we, uh, I got a box. I had all these other seats. And um, after the game, I would always, you know, take forever in the locker room. And uh, just, you know, showering and sitting down in the locker and thinking about the game. And just, I would take my time. And so after this game, I have 150 plus people to go say goodbye to and thank you to for coming to the game before we can leave. And so it's an absolute mob scene outside by the buses. And you know, the bus is honking, like, we got to get rolling. And Thomas Jones, <laughs> he said, man, he said, man, Santa, hurry your ass up, man. I said, I'm sorry, man. I got to I gotta talk to all my people out there. He goes, damn, bro, I saw you. I seen all your buddies. <laughs> he says, I mean, all these South Orange County, you know, kids that I grew up with, a bunch of skaters, surfers, snowboarders. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, bro, I heard him. Sick game, dude. Great job, man. <laughs> And he does this, like, white kid, you know, Orange County impression, and it just blew up the bus. This thing was hilarious. The guy was crying <laughs> laughing because he was just clowning me. But it was uh, it was one of my favorite moments, not just from Thomas Jones, because he's like, you know, he's like a stone-cold dude, man. He didn't joke around. He didn't mess around. He was just all business. And for him to break character like that and do that impression, oh, man, it killed me. It killed me. TJ is a big dude, man. He was a scary guy in the locker room. Oh, yeah. I'm physically imposing. I mean, I mean, you remember the playoffs when the, the first playoff game, Weatherford about had a heart attack before the game, so he wasn't punting. And then um, we're, we're down on the goal line, and I try and throw this, basically the old-school run-pass option, kind of like Brett Favre, where you, it looks like it's going to be a run play. You take one step back, like you're handing the ball off, and you just fire a quick you know, one-step slant or something like that out to the perimeter. And uh, we're on the goal line, and this is – I mean, we got them dead to rights. They're exhausted after a long drive, and Thomas Jones is ready to walk this thing in. But I hadn't thrown a touchdown, so I was like, 
I'm going to cut one loose here and, and, you know, see if Jericho catch a little touchdown and throw a touchdown and playoff games. It'd be kind of cool, you know. <laughs> and I throw it to Jericho. The ball gets batted down. Uh, and Thomas Jones kind of came up to me and he's like, hey, bro, I'm not going to embarrass you in front of everyone like that. He goes, but if you pull some like that again, I'll beat your ass right here on this field. <laughs> and I just looked at him like, uh, yes, sir. <laughs> you got it, bro. And it was like the next player too. We scored, just handed him the ball, and he's like, "Man, don't pull it like that again." Yeah, well, I remember the fourth and one, and fourth and two in San Diego, and he got it. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, Mark. Mark, you're one of the best guys to cover. I, I always, I loved covering you. Uh, I wish you had been here longer with the Jets. It, it stunk that that it didn't last longer than it did, but I really appreciate you taking the time. And I just want to uh, let everyone know again: you can see Mark, uh, ABC College Football Live on Saturdays. Get up on ESPN on Fridays, Showtime inside the NFL as a guest analyst. He's everywhere. Uh, Mark Sanchez, really appreciate you taking the time to do this, Mark. Appreciate you, man. Thanks. Be on any time. Now I want to welcome in a man who has not led the Jets to -to back-to-back AFC championship appearances, although I think Serby's probably one of the few people on earth who've been to all four of the Jets' AFC championship game appearances uh, dating back to the Mud Bowl in 82. Steve Serby, longtime New York Post football columnist. You can follow Serb on Twitter at NYPost underscore Serby and check out his columns in the post and at NYPost.com. Serb, am I correct? Have you been at all four, Mud Bowl, Denver, and then the two uh, a decade ago? Um, well, I, I was a fan at the uh, the uh, AFC championship game, AFL championship AFL. game between the Raiders and Jets. Oh, wow. So you yeah. that one. Uh, that's a, I froze my ass off. The coldest day I've ever been at a game. Uh, I sat way in the up, upper deck somewhere and uh, came very close to frostbite. But what what a game. What a game. And I was a big Joe Willie fan. So you were even at that one. That's incredible. Yeah, I, yeah, I was at that be, one. There can't be many other people on earth that have been to all of those games. Maybe Ira from Staten Island. but that's- <laughs> I was just going to say, Ira. Was, I, think, I, th- I think Ira was sitting next to me, as a matter of fact. We got a game Sunday, sir, between the Jets and Dolphins. That's not quite as big as the one you covered, uh, the Mud Bowl, back in January of 83. Uh, the three and nine Dolphins and four and eight Jets. What uh, you know? What are you looking for in this game from uh, from Gang Green? Who knows with these guys after what we saw in Cincinnati? But you know, I was looking at some of the uh, at the injury injury reports uh, because I have no life. That's what I do. I stare at injury reports. So the the Dolphins, the Jets have nine DNPs. Did not practice. Yeah. The Dolphins had zero. So if I'm a betting man, and, and, and sometimes I am, I'm taking the Dolphins. You've got an, a horrific Jets decimated secondary, and you've got Ryan Fitzpatrick, who said in Miami today, I feel like I'm better now than I've ever been. My confidence is at an all-time high. What do you think about that, Kaz? I think I've heard Fitz say that before, and I think disaster usually follows for Fitz when he talks – if if the Dolphins give him a contract extension tomorrow, the Jets are golden on Sunday, because uh, that, that's usually when Fitz goes. Uh, Fitz turns turns into bad Fitz usually when he starts talking like that. So that'll so. that'll influence Costello's call for Sunday, it will, obviously. It will, it yeah. Will influence that. Yeah. Hey, um, is there anything anything to the Wilpons buying the Jets? <laughs> <laughs> no, but maybe Steve Cohen has a few uh, extra billion laying around. I bet he does. Um, Anyway, but I, uh, I, I look, I'm picking the Dolphins in this one. Uh, I, I've given up on the Jets. They're still alive for the playoffs, though, right? 
Uh, I think there might be a 0.0001% chance. Yeah, so there was like a 1% chance they go to Cincinnati, they lose, and they're still alive. So if if they lose out, can they make the playoffs? (laughs) I don't think so. I think that that would would end it. Yeah, but the secondary is a problem, and uh, and Darrell Revis uh, ain't coming back anytime soon. No, Darrell Roberts might be, but not Darrell Revis. Yeah, slight slight, slight difference. difference. All right, enough talk about this this boring game on Sunday. you know, there's a legendary survey story that I, I want our listeners to hear. And we talk about it every once in a while in press boxes. And it's uh, it's a great story. So, Serb, tell, tell the story of your your tussle with Richard Todd back in 1981. No comment. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, November 4th, 1981. Who's counting? Um, I had written a column weeks earlier saying that uh, the headline was with Todd at helm. Jets will never win Super Bowl. And he didn't like that for some reason. And he was a very sensitive kid at that time following Joe Namath. New York was the worst possible place for him to start his career. And uh, I was the worst possible uh, reporter for him to uh, start it with. So anyway, uh, we hadn't talked for a few weeks. And then I tried to patch things up with him in the locker room. And we got into a uh, an X-rated exchange, and I was standing there with my notebook. This was pre-tape recorder, with my notebook at my side, and I, I, I had this sense of impending doom. I felt like I was about to be attacked, and m- of course, my luck, I was right. So he uh, he grabbed me around my throat very tightly, pushed me back, smashed my head into a locker, and I slumped to the bottom of the locker. And when I, I must have blacked out for like 10 seconds. When I woke up, who was standing over me? None other than Mark Gastineau. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. And then, and then, um, and then I was taken by a colleague to the local uh, hospital. And um, uh, I uh, uh, later had uh, tires in my, on my, in my parking spot slashed. And, um, Walked around holding a piece of iron because things had gotten out of hand, uh, and then and then two weeks later, I, I went back on the beat. But that Sunday, the Jets played the Baltimore Colts, and story of my life. Richard Todd throws four touchdown passes, wins the game, and I'm even more of a villain. Uh, well, and that's when that's when Bob Trumpy and Bob Costas actually debated Todd versus Serby. Trumpy, the former player, took the side of Todd, and Costas defended me. Wow. I have two questions. Was the headline accurate for the column? Is that what you wrote? Yes. They, they, it was. Okay. Yes. I believe, okay. as I recall, it was correct, and uh, I guess okay. I was right about that one, right? <laughs> you, nailed, you nailed it. And then when, when did you and Todd patch things up, if ever? Well, we shook hands um, weeks later. It was, the Saturday game in Cleveland, we shook hands. And I guess I thought we had patched things up and then he got traded to the saints and then he came back to the jets and we shook hands again. And I guess I must've written a few things after that, after that he didn't enjoy because he refuses to take my calls today. Wow. Yeah. And I don't even, I don't even, I don't even call collect. I don't know. I don't understand it. And now you talk about being a villain and someone slash your tires what do you think that like an altercation like that would be like today with social media and 
you know, someone would have someone would have pulled out their phone and filmed it. Another well, that's what, yeah. What well, Todd like in, in today. Todd got off easy because back at that time there were no cameras in the locker room. If if that incident had been recorded, he would have been in a whole lot of trouble. As it was, I had to drive down to Manhattan, interview with NFL security, and NFL security or the NFL fined Todd fifteen hundred dollars, which in that which in nineteen eighty one was a lot more than it is now, obviously. But but he he was lucky there were no cameras in there because he would have been in a lot of trouble. Wow! And and, and, and the Jets, by the way, the Jets defended Todd. Uh, Jets president Jim Jim Kensel said that I had provoked him. That does not surprise me. Um, well, look, you got the last laugh. You've had a better career than Richard Todd. So well, let's let's just let's say that. You yeah, know, I've been. I go. I go to the Super Bowl every year. Right, right. The New York Post has been at the Super Bowl every year with Serbia, and the Jets have yet to be to go to the Super Bowl with or without Richard Todd since then. So, but my luck, my luck has did turn for the worse the other day. I ended up missing a flight because I was I, I tried to get on a standby flight and and I didn't make it and I had to stay overnight at at, at the airport. You ever have anything like that happen to you? Serbia's referring. My my trip to Cincinnati was a lucrative one. It was not a good one for the Jets, but for for Costello it was good. I got four thousand dollars in uh, airline vouchers for ta- for getting bumped off my flights, uh, for volunteering to be bumped off flights on the way to Cincinnati and back. So that's what he's referring to. And I ended up still catching a flight forty five minutes later on Monday to get back. It was the ultimate win over the airlines. Uh, something I've been celebrating for a few days now and. The Costello family will have a good summer vacation because of it. Unbelievable. Wow. That's the opposite of my life. I, I, it was not a Mr. Loser moment. No. Hey, li- you know, I've come to learn that life sometimes is a butt fumble. <laughs> All right, sir. Well, thanks for uh, joining the podcast today. I'll, I'll see you soon in Florham Park or, or Sunday at MetLife. Thanks, Cos. I now bring on my producer, Jake Brown, to dive into the NFL Week 14 betting lines with Brown's Best Bets. Oh, hello once again, fellow degenerates. It's a brand new week, so it's time to gather yourselves together and get back to winning ways here in Week 14 in the NFL. Here are my three best bets this week against the spread. First off, the Dolphins are five-point underdogs, which means you're going to hammer them against the Jets. Why are they making the Jets five-point favorites? They were just embarrassed by the Bengals in Cincinnati in a 22-6 loss. They have injuries up the wazoo. I have no idea who's playing in their secondary. There's just too many injuries for the Jets to deal with, and the Dolphins continue to be competitive, and they're coming off an incredible win against the Eagles where they scored 37 points. This one's going to come down to the final minutes, but Fitzy and the Dolphins cover that plus five. Number two of my three best bets, the Colts somehow are three-point underdogs, and I just don't understand it. Home team gets three points, so basically they're saying the Colts and Bucks are on even playing fields, and I know they're only a game apart, but Jameis Winston has been a turnover machine. The Bucks are not a good football team. Lock the Colts in to cover that plus three. And finally, the Seahawks are somehow only a half-point favorite against the Rams in Los Angeles. They find ways to win games every week. 10-2 Seattle somehow is a half-point favorite, and I don't get it against the 7-5 Rams. The Rams have been insanely inconsistent all year long lock them in to beat the rams in what essentially is a pick em. all right all right all right it's your favorite part of the segment it's time for my three team 25 dollar parlay that will cash you just around 150 dollars and if you got airline credits for your post thanksgiving travels 
like Brian Costello did, make it a $50 parlay to win 300 smackaroos and tip your waiters, mailman, coffee lady for the holiday season. Part one of your three-team parlay. Hammer the over 44.5 in 49ers Saints. The Saints have 26, 34, and 34 points in the last three games. They're putting up around 25 points per game. 49ers are putting up around 29 points per game. I'm still puzzled why the number for this game is so low, especially in the dome without any weather conditions. Part two of your parlay. Take the over 43 and a half in Ravens Bills. There isn't snow or rain in the forecast in Buffalo, and the Ravens themselves are averaging 34 a game. The Bills average 21 a game, and they're sizzling hot right now. I can't see a situation where these two combine for 43 or less. Finally, Take the Colts money line. Yes, we are debuting a money line bet here in your parlay. I told you better than the Colts plus three. We're going to ride them to win this game. So if they don't, we're kind of screwed on both fronts. So get it done, Jacoby Brissett. This is a big game for Indy as they try to stay in that playoff race. They're playing for something. The Bucs are not. So give me the money line of the Colts because it is plus 130. And plus 130 is going to cash you out some more money. And that's a wrap for Brown's Best Bets this week. Here's what I want you to do when you cash out your winning. Get your mom, your dad, your significant other, your dog, an extra special holiday gift or two. Tell them the bald, bearded, and fairly handsome parlay king told you to. Good luck in week 14, gamblers. That's a wrap for Gangs All Here, our New York Jets football podcast with the New York Post. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for making it happen. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms for the best Jets content. You can find more Jets news by signing up for our daily New York Post sports newsletter and by visiting nypost.com. We'll be back Monday recapping the Jets game with the Dolphins. See you next week.